Deacon Houston, how are you? Hello, I'm doing very well. It's good to finally have you here. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) It's my pleasure to be here. So you've been in kind of quarantine seclusion with the other seminarians? Yes, uh, precisely. The the, um, seminary has thought thought it best to kind of sort of keep us locked down uh, for the majority of the semester. Okay. Um, So just we have all 42 uh, 40 guys just kind of locked in and we're just studying, taking classes from there and doing everything formation wise there. Um, we can leave for essential tasks, things like growing to the grocery store, uh-huh. doctor's visits, things that are really essential. But as far as ministry is concerned, official ministry, if it's not via Zoom, then it cannot be had. So, oh, wow. Uh, so we've been uh, kind of sort of relegated to the seminary, but it's been a great semester. So how do you pronounce your last name? Yeah. Okoma. Okoma. Oh, that's the Okonma. more Americanized, appropriate way of saying it. But Okonma. Okonma. Yeah. So the, yeah. the N is a little silent? It's silent. It's, it's silent completely. Correct. Okay. Correct, correct. And then you said that's the Americanized way. Yeah. yeah. What's the traditional way? Of- I, I would add a little bit of emphasis. Okonma. 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 So it's okay. not like I'm actually saying the N, but it, the N is kind of like the source of the, where you kind of put the the emphasis. Okay. And the yeah. origin of your name is Nigeria. It's Igbo. Okay. Yeah. It means, um, sometimes I chuckle when, when I say the, the uh, what it means is, um, Oko, uh, means like a young, uh, like man. Okay. And Ma is our way of saying like beautiful or nice or good looking. That kind oh, of thing. So, wow. Oko Ma is a handsome young man. Kind of thing. So hopefully that carries out the rest of my priesthood. <laughs> <laughs> So what, where did that originate? Like, did one of your ancestors say, "I want to name myself handsome young man"? I, I'm sure that or, happened a few centuries ago. <laughs> so, all right. So you're here at Saint Faustina now. Correct. This is your diaconate year. Do you feel like you've been cheated a little bit because of the whole pandemic? You know. Um, Sometimes I do, but then other times I kind of think and look back at my own person. Uh-huh. And I say, I, I just kind of sort of imagine being in the parish is easy for me, so to speak, because I, I feel like there's a great comfort and peace just being with the people of God. Uh-huh. Uh, however, I get to do that for the rest of my life. Uh, something that this year has kind of brought, brought forth is a time of reflection, uh-huh. a time of peace, a, a time of you know finding a certain grounding. So being at the seminary kind of sort of allows me to do that all the more. It's a little bit more intentional to say, okay, God, I'm going to find you and I'm going to get to know you as best as I can, because what is going to happen in a few months is inevitable. Yes. The time and peace and the identity that that God helps me to seek now is in the now. So if I can do that and continue to remain in him, uh, like in the gospel of John, then this it's not a time wasted at all. That's that's an awesome way to look at things. So normally you would have been here every other weekend for an entire year. Correct. Right. Correct. And when when did all that start? All Wait. that that start. I'm not. That started way before me. That's for sure. No, but I've been saying uh, your your year. When did it start? Oh, uh, it started as soon as ordination happened. Okay, which was um, which was, was which was changed twice, <laughs> postponed <laughs> twice. Oh yes, that's right. Yes, um, I believe I was ordained. I have like three dates in my head, but July 10th was July the official 10th. ordination date. Um, so usually it will culminate with the summer assignment, which would have 
I would have been ordained before that summer assignment started. Uh -huh. And then we go straight to the parish. So fortunately this year I was allowed to go to the parish, even though not ordained and then continue ministry and then get ordained and kind of like the rest. Of so history. are we going to have you the, for the rest of the year? For the rest of uh, the rest until of the July, school, I guess until till June 1st. I suppose. Okay, we'll, that's we'll, good. We'll see. Yeah. So now we have you. We you have me now. That's awesome. Until until January, actually. Just January? Because the semester will start again. Oh, and then you've got to go into isolation. Back into isolation. Okay. Again, so, uh, but technically, I'm still assigned to Saint Faustina. All my faculties is here. Uh huh. Uh, so it's you know it's I'm still associated. And we've seen you around here even before you were ordinated a deacon. Correct. And okay, so let's go back first. Yeah. So your your family's from Nigeria. Yeah. So are you uh your your parents are they the ones that immigrated? Correct. So my parents immigrated. My dad in nineteen eighty two, uh, and then my mom in nineteen ninety. Uh, they were pen pals from Nigeria, um, and then they met here. Oh, okay. Um, and then they got married and then had me. Uh, so it was it was quite a journey. Um, then I have four uh, siblings. Mm -hmm. And I'm the oldest, so it's I, I kind of call myself the head honcho. <laughs> <laughs> so, what brought your dad here to the United States? Yeah, the, to seek like opportunity. Okay, uh, definitely to obtain an education. He liked business. He liked entrepreneurship, uh, and he wanted to just kind of continue and further his life in a place that would give him the most opportunity to do so. So, was he um, in college at the time? Uh, when he came, he he then enrolled in college. He enrolled at TSU. Okay. Uh, and then continue to study accounting. That's good. Yeah. So, so he, did he bring your mom over? Or she came over herself. Yeah, she came over herself. Okay. Um, and then she for took, school as well. Uh, not, not really. Uh, she came in, well, she wanted to look for an opportunity as well. Uh, just, just kind of sort of further her life, whether it's a medicine or whatever have you, but, and then taking the leap of faith and group and I guess seeking, finding that love in my dad enabled her to just say, you know what? I think this would be a great place too, which I can settle down and raise a family as well. Does your dad tease your mom saying, hey, you followed me here. Does he say that <laughs> to her? Sometimes he does. <laughs> so yeah, when they got yeah. married, did they get yeah. married here and Nigeria Correct. for the family? That's Correct. Correct. Oh yeah. Typical tradition for sure. Which um, came first? Uh, the, the one in Nigeria came first. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's usually kind of like the traditional betrothal. Uh -huh. So that that makes the the family to see, okay, this is serious. Um, and then comes the, the rest, you know, the white wedding and everything else. But most of their dating was done here in the U.S. Correct. Precisely. Was it here in, in Texas? Here in, here in Houston. Okay. Yeah. Also, your parents have been in Houston ever since. Ever since. Ever since. Like, this is home. This is, in fact, it's the reason why I'm named Houston. Uh, my dad loved the city so much. He wanted his son to be just as big and prosperous as the city that adopted him. <laughs> so he said, you know what? And it didn't matter what my mom thought. <laughs> he was going to name his first, first son Houston. And there uh, you go. Exactly. So you said yeah. big and prosperous. How tall are you? you? You seem like a pretty tall yeah, guy. Yeah, I'm only 5'11". Maybe add a half inch to that. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> your shoes little... and your hair maybe? Is that what? <laughs> we, could do, we could add that. <laughs> So big and prosperous like Houston. I, yeah. I mean, that's awesome that your dad yeah. named you after Houston. Exactly. Now, and, he was thinking more on the realm of like medicine, law, um, engineering. But then the priesthood was definitely not on that list. When did you all. when did you first get the thoughts of becoming a priest? 
first grade uh, in CCE classes, actually. Uh, my godmother, well, now confirmation sponsor at the time, uh, we took a field trip to the altar. Uh, we looked around at the, um, the presider's chair, the credence table, the altar, and I just found myself just kind of sort of stuck in between. Wow. Uh, this is at St. Christopher's Catholic Church on the south side of Houston, close to Hobby Airport. Okay. And I saw myself just kind of sort of looking out at the crowd. And I thought to myself, well, this is kind of cool. You know, being the oldest, being the head honcho kind of guy. You know, I loved all that kind of stuff. Though. But to see the empty pews and j just the spot just seemed so significant. But my godmother, who now my confirmation sponsor, looked at me and said, you know what? You can be a priest one day. I thought, really? That's so awesome. Okay. But you have to sit at that table, that chair first. And that was the altar server bench. Uh, so from then on, I guess after receiving First Communion, I was able to serve Mass along with my siblings. So did they and bring that, you up behind the altar to take a look at the priest's view? Is that yeah, what it was? Exactly. Oh, do you recommend that for kids? Oh, absolutely. We should absolutely. do that. We should. Right. That's the first time I ever thought about recommending uh, that opportunity. I think it's highly, highly, highly important, at least for guys to kind of sort of see that this is a possibility and stir up the pot a little bit, add in that little glimmer of opportunity and maybe a little bit of hope that, you know, this is something that you can achieve as well. So you say you're the oldest. So boys, girls. Yeah. So there's only, there's only one girl. Okay. Uh, the four, there's one girl, three, white, uh, three guys. Um, so she's, she's the princess for sure. Is she the youngest? <laughs> no, she's, she's right after me. Actually. Okay. Right after me. And then did you bring uh, your brothers up there? Your No, actually, no. No one else. I don't think anyone else. Uh, well, we've all served mass. Um, but other than that, that particular experience was just, it was, I think I was the only one that, that had that, ex that experience. Maybe we should make that a, some, some kind of tradition here. You know, I might take Saint that Faustina. to the parish. Actually, right? absolutely. Talk to Father Dad. Like, he, he's probably good. He's going to hear that pretty soon. <laughs> so first grade, you did that. Yeah. C CCE. Correct. At the time it was CC, uh, was it CCE already? Yeah, it was C still CCD. C yeah, CCE. Okay, CCE. Yeah. And then you went up. What happened after that? Was it just in the back of your mind as an altar server? Or did you have that in your mind? I'm going to be a priest from the no, start. No, it, it didn't stay in my mind <laughs> long. <laughs> <laughs> I, I recognized the sacrifice that, oh, priests can't get married? Ooh, that doesn't fall within the normal plan scheme of things with Nigerian culture, just me and my own aspirations of wanting to do medicine. Uh -huh. and just general, my disposition to liking girls. So it wasn't <laughs> in the plan. So I thought, oh, okay, well, all right, <laughs> enough of that. But then I started serving mass and I continued on in uh, altar serving for a long time, even throughout college. Um, and just being able to experience the Lord in that particular way. Uh, being able to say the Eucharistic prayer by heart <laughs> alongside with the priest or catching different visiting priests doing doing things a little bit differently. And I thought, oh, that's not how you do it. Well, if I was there, this is what I would do. That kind of thing. <laughs> so you'd critique the priest. <laughs> I definitely would critique the priest. <laughs> and did you consciously like print it out and memorize it or no. just through repetition you memorized? Just, just through repetition, repetition, constantly serving mass on the weekends. Um, sometimes two masses in a week, even if so I would do the one that I would I was scheduled to uh, to serve, and okay. then, as well as the the one that our family would normally go to, uh, and that's just how I kind of sort of I even crashed the party of other teams. So other we were assigned by teams okay. at the time, 
so, you know, a certain team, we used to call them St. Mark or St. Christopher or St. Matthew or whatever have you, would be assigned for that particular mass that my family would go to. Uh, I would have already served my mass or it would have been later on in the evening. Uh, but I would kind of sort of just sneak by into the sacristy and put on my uh, cassock and surplice and say, <laughs> hey, I'm here to help. <laughs> and then they were like, okay, what are we going to do with this? Kick you out, right? Guy? Yeah, <laughs> we're going to kick me out. <laughs> so how many years did that go on until you that, were? Until seminary. It, it wow. persisted. So on. at what point did you take that leap into from being an altar server to jumping and saying, okay, I'm going to do this? Well, funny you say that uh, during confirmation, just kind of during that time, late, later teen years, uh-huh. funny enough, I kind of thought that I didn't need confirmation because, well, I've been serving mass forever. Like I'm already part of the church. I've already uh, have the certain fullness that I was supposed to receive. So I thought, oh, okay, I'll just postpone that till later. But funny enough, during that preparation, I felt there was a little bit more churning internally. Um Sometimes we would hear the choir play songs. Would you come and follow me if I but call your name? Then I feel something deep in the pit of my tummy um, thinking, okay, what is that? Okay, why is that song playing at the same time that I feel this? Is it the priesthood? Is it that thing that I wanted to forget that long, that long ago? Mm-hmm. Um, but it kept persisting and it kept persisting. And I thought, okay, maybe God wants me to do this. So I'll keep this thought in my mind. Okay, and I kept it in my mind, such as so as to name myself Peter. Like I knew I was always kind of like the friend that you would seek counsel from or seek help from. So I knew that I was kind of sort of a pivotal point in the lives of many because I wanted to be. I wanted to be like an avenue where people would find some peace and comfort. Um, so I named myself Peter, the rock of the of of the church, just kind of like a foundational piece uh, for confirmation as my confirmation saint. And it was to remind myself as I went on to college of this possible vocation to the priesthood. Um, Lo and behold, I never forgot that idea, notion, when I went to college. I went to University of Houston and studied nutritional sciences. Uh, At that point, I I was committed to wanting to do pharmacy. Uh, And then through my stint at the University of Houston, uh, I started thinking, okay, after my bachelor's, I can go on to PT school. So it became more of a role or an aspiration that was something that was less lucrative to something that was a little bit more and more service oriented. And as my heart kept moving and as my brain kept shifting and making different decisions as far as what I would do after college, it felt as if my path towards the priesthood was more so of of destiny. Uh, This is exactly what God wants me to do. So I didn't talk to many people as far as vocations was concerned. I, I kept it to myself. Uh-huh. Uh, but there is one guy, one familiar fella. Uh, he's a priest of the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston. And he was in his last year as a vocation director, Father Dad. Uh, I contacted him. He would always visit St. Christopher's um, to celebrate Mass. And sometimes he would look at me and say, you should be a priest. Uh, why don't you think of applying? Well, here's my number. Just call me whenever you're ready and we'll talk about it. And I was avoiding that for years. <laughs> Sometimes I even got sick of seeing him. I didn't even want to see him anymore. Would you duck out real quickly actually, after mass? I sure would. And avoid him. Oh, see. Or hide in a corner. Big me hiding. <laughs> he doesn't corner. see me. He can't see me back here. So, I mean, it was very, it was very, it was funny. I mean, looking back, it's kind of funny. And look at where we are now. But um, he is very, very war- warm and welcoming. And I thought, the priesthood just seems so right. 
it's something that kind of just grew in your mind yeah, little did. by little. It did. And um, one day in October or whatever have you, still didn't tell anybody. It was still, it was just something that I discerned like internally. And um, I made the call. Hey, father, dad, I think, um, I think we need, I need to talk to you about being a priest. Okay. All right. Uh, we'll meet at this time. We'll go to the seminary and, you know, we'll talk. And I told him how I felt. Um, he thinks he, he thought that it was best to give me the book that, to save a thousand souls. Um, he said, read it. And I'm not really a book guy. I'm more of a chem guy, biology kind of guy. Uh -huh. I really won't read novels. I can't tell you how many books I've ever read in my life <laughs> that they're not science related, but, um, <laughs> it's, it, so I read the book. Uh, I'm not sure if I read all the whole book, but I, I, there's, I read the majority of it. And I got to a certain point where there's a test kind of sort of to kind of gauge your readiness as far as discernment is concerned. And I kept checking off different uh, yeses according to the questions that were asked. And I thought, man, this is me. This is something that I think I'm really called to do. Um, so I called Father Dad back and I, I told him of my eagerness to wanting to, to, to become a priest. Mm -hmm. Notice it wasn't the eagerness to join seminary wasn't there, but the eagerness to become a priest. Uh, you know, you have the alpha first, firstborn. Okay, all right, this is what we're going to do. Let's do it. Um, so he, he he told me, okay, continue praying, continue discerning. Um, but there's a retreat that you'll be going to uh, that I would like for you to go to. It's the Men's, men's Discernment Retreat, uh, January 2nd through the 4th, something like that. Um, I'd like for you to come by to St. Mary's. It will be a silent retreat. We'll pray and it will be there that if all is well, we'll give you your application and then you will begin the application process. And uh, that's what, that's exactly what happened. I only went to the retreat <laughs> to uh, get that application and, and start that was, the application process. At what point did you tell your parents? Funny you asked that. The day before. <laughs> I go Before to, the retreat? Yeah. The, oh, wow. The day before the retreat, January 1st. Uh, 2014, um, I, I sat everyone down because I was going to be gone for three days. There had to be a reason why I was gone for three days without cell phone uh, use or anything like that. Um, I sat down. Uh, everyone was just kind of sort of, okay, what's going on here? Um, all right, guys. So tomorrow I'm going to be on a retreat to um, receive my application and apply to be um, a seminarian for the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston, to become a priest. And it was just total silence. Just what? You could <laughs> see them processing it. Uh, yeah, to... It was just, <laughs> it was what? Did they have any clue at that point? So my mom would often, often hear, my dad would often hear it too. I would serve mass. I was just, I was always at the altar. You'd hear from people, oh, this guy could be a priest one day. This guy could be a priest one day. So my mom would often say, yeah, maybe a deacon, you know, after he has kids and when he settled. And I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, I, I can do that. Then scratching <laughs> my head uh, afterwards and thinking, oh, mom, just uh, let's hope that that's, that wish might come true. I don't think so, though. But Did you drop hints here and there? No, I didn't. Not at all? No, I didn't. So it was, it was they had no it idea a, it was coming. It was a bomb. No, they had no idea. They wow. had no idea. Uh, but the, the, the response... The first response that I got was my dad. Uh, my dad, he was eating um, a traditional Nigerian dish, fufu. Um, 
he was eating and then he heard me say that and then he said stupid he said that and they walked walked <laughs> to the sink area <laughs> and they came back and then he started a big old rant but i was expecting that uh, because this is abnormal super abnormal for any first uh generation american born uh nigerian to say like we i there's no uh, there's not another me uh, around, although there, at least at that time, there is a guy that I met from Dallas. Uh, he's a young discerner. He's in his first, I guess, second or third year of seminary um, that I just met. That's uh, American-born Nigerian. But um, I would probably be the first priest to have been born and raised here in the United States with Nigerian really descent. Wow! So this doesn't happen. This I should have been. I'm almost thirty now. Uh, uh-huh. I, sh- I should have been a doctor by now in residency. Uh, or an engineer working for NASA. That was your parents or, in their is, mind. That's the ideal. So tell me a little yeah. about Ni- Nigerian culture. So you did mention it earlier and you're kind of getting into it right now. So what is the mindset of of a Nigerian immigrant yeah. that comes into the United States? We we are going into another person's land. Okay. Um, and, but it's a land of opportunity. A land where if you can work hard and establish yourself, you can be prosperous and you you can come back and be able to take care of your family and all those who are behind you. So that's the impetus for every Nigerian that you would see, ideally, the to make sure you make good grades, um, don't get into trouble and do what you need to do to obtain that sense of security and stability. Um, and if you're not doing that, that's it's it's an avenue towards great failure. So the arts and sci- uh, the arts and creative world was not even an option, unless you are secure and stable and you are making good money, and, or you are able to prove that that is sustainable. Then uh-huh. fine, sure. Or if you're just that darn good, fine. But if not, no, we go with the sure way. It's medicine, it's engineering. You know, primar- primarily medicine in the field of nursing, uh, or as a as a doctor. Pharmacy, definitely, although very saturated in the Houston area. <laughs> um, you know, those are the professions that you can find yourself most stable in. Therefore, those are the pro- professions that you will pursue. And, you know, it's not like we knew any better because, sure, we'd go off to school. Maybe some of us would make some of the best grades and are high performing in class. And we come back home and then do it all over again. Um, we'd go to church on Sundays. We'd have ideally a two parent household. And there was just a great sense of stability. So we would stand out in a sense, and aside from our different last names or whatever have you. So so but, did, did your parents look at you like, okay, you're the eldest son. You're supposed to earn money to help your brothers and sister and maybe send some money back to some relatives in Nigeria. Is that what they were thinking? Absolutely. That's so it. that's exactly what your dad was thinking when he said, stupid, I've, and walked out of the room. How is oh, he yeah. going to help people in our family? Correct. I'm abandoning the family. Precisely. I mean, I, I'm just, I'm abandoning all that I had planned, all that, all that we was supposed to happen. And now how, how are we, not like they couldn't provide for themselves or for the family or anything like that, but the consistency and the future generational aspect of that was just like, what? You just blew this all up. Like, what do you mean? We laid the groundwork here. You're supposed to for sure add to it. That's your responsibility as the eldest son. For sure. And my, and my parents have worked hard all their lives. Of course. Especially being here in the United States. Yeah, because you told them this 
at what point you were, had you already graduated college? At that I, I, I was in my last year. You're in your last year. Last year. I was going to be finishing in May. So the plan was to go to, to go and finish and then Im- immediately head straight to seminary. So it wasn't like Deacon Joseph White who, or Father David Michael, who went right out of high school and went to, into the seminary. You had done correct. A, few years of college already yeah correct i was almost done by the time I your parents had spent on those credits oh yeah and countless credits and then you dropped this bomb on them dropped this bomb on them (laughs) but they were they were kind of it would have been a bigger i'm not sure if it would have been a bigger bomb if i went right out of high school would have definitely been different Mm -hmm. um but yeah i guess you know a few years i must add a few years later uh, after finishing my first two years of seminary, uh-huh. uh, my mom revealed to me that she never thought that I would make it this far, which oh, is really, quite, <laughs> which is quite interesting, because uh, I, I was I was kind of always the guy to kind of try to finish what he started. I always did what I wanted to do. So she was expecting that. Okay, Houston, you already have a college degree from the University of Houston. You you know you could kind of go back and pursue whatever field that you want to anyway. So at least, you know, you have that. But I mean, now, I mean, okay, I guess you are kind of serious about this thing. I guess you can, I guess it's okay for you to really continue and move on forward. Um, so it's, so she was very, I think she was very, she had a lot of trepidation nonetheless. Um, but she did mention, she always mentioned, and she continues to mention her level of shock <laughs> um, just at my decision, at my decision. Is this, is this kind of, is this real? Did, is this? You know, how could this be um, that, you know, this is something that you'd want to do? Um, you know, she always thought also that, um, you know, if if I was pushed or if I was being uh, manipulated to make such a decision, um, you know, it's OK to leave, that kind of thing. And she would never she would she would never, ever say that about anything else. <laughs> but with this particular decision, I mean, she she felt the need to kind of sure do that because it was so outlandish did she say that father dat <laughs> that guy she would planting she, that seed in your head <laughs> actually she would say in 2012 uh she would say that i had four wisdom teeth removed and i was on in deep anesthesia or whatever have you and so she heard the hammers just kind of sort of uh reaching down at those those teeth that need to be removed and she said that's when you went crazy you lost your wisdom <laughs> that's when you, you lost your, your teeth, wisdom right yeah. <laughs> Did she go back yeah. to that CCE teacher that took you behind the altar and say, you did it. <laughs> I'm sure she would want to. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you dropped that bomb on your parents. Yeah. You said your dad walked out, came back and did a whole rant. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember some of the stuff that he said? Oh, I remember some of the stuff. I'm not sure it's video appropriate. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> but a, a lot. I let him go on for, for months. Of course. For months. Oh, months? Yeah. This is. Uh, I start, I received the application and started applying and gradually finished off every single part of the application process. Um, so for those that don't know, it's series of essays chronicling your whole life, uh, dating experience, um, home experience, background, um, culture, the kind of life, who you, who you are basically in a uh-huh. nutshell. Um, and then we also take you know, psychological um, evaluations kind of sort of make sure that we're in a position to discern um, and there are no immediate obstacles to kind of sort of prevent that. Um, uh, there are also panels and there are also interviews that we must kind of sort of go through. So I think I did a series of those before uh, when April came and he's, he started saying, okay, you know what? Um, 
you know, I, I know that you have, you have, you have thought about this and you seem to be pretty serious about this. I'm not sure. Um, I think at this point I already started pushing back a little because okay. I gave him a, like a grace period. Cause I knew it was coming. This is very, this is from out of nowhere. So mm -hmm. I gave him a grace period to rant as much as he wanted to. To deal with it, to process to deal it. With it and, to process uh -huh. it. After a while, I just couldn't tolerate it anymore. And I started <laughs> pushing back as well. And then we didn't talk for a while. Um, oh, really? Yeah, we were in the same house and everything. Um, still going to school, finishing out my last semester. Um, and we just didn't talk. We just didn't talk. So he, he, he said, okay, Houston, I hear that you want to do this. But let's, we'll come at, here's, here's the impasse. Here's where we'll, we can negotiate. If you stop all this going to seminary talk and continue on with your plan of going to PT school, um, we can go to the uh, dealership, any dealership that you want. Oh, wow. Pick out any car that you want. Wow. Just provided that you go on and continue as we planned, we, <laughs> as we planned. And at that point, uh, the, the new, the new 2014 Mercedes Benz E-Class was right around, was my, one of my favorite cars at that time. So I was thinking, okay, this is cool. And I'm a big, big, big car fan. Uh -huh. So he knew just what to say, just to kind of sort of <laughs> convince his oldest son to go away. But uh, by that time, my, my mindset, um, I always wanted to uh, feed the poor, take care of the sick, defend the widow and the orphan. Like those ideals, those, those ideals in the gospel were just weighing heavy on me already. Um, like that's my life. Like I don't mind sacrificing hundreds of thousands of dollars a year uh -huh. uh, in such a, 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 um, a stable profession to go ahead and do this, in which I will make not the same. <laughs> um, so you were so all in already. I was, I was already all in. So when your dad came with the when he came, car deal. I, I laughed. Really? I laughed really hard uh, because I thought, okay, this is, this is very, this is, this is so big of a bombshell that I know this is, this is kind of going to be life changing for the whole family. Um, and I thought, and I told him like that, like, no, I, I love cars. Sure. You're not going to convince me um, to leave this gift, this vocation for our car. And, you know, maybe if he offers something else, when Mercedes Benz is poor, poor, um, I hope we're not uh, doing any commercial advertising or anything like that, but <laughs> I didn't want to deal with any maintenance issues or anything like that. Uh -huh. But um, I, I, I knew that this is where God was leading me and I had to pursue it. So at what point, uh, well, about your mom, how did she deal with it? So your dad walked out, came back, and then he yeah. didn't talk to you for a while. Yeah, he ranted a bit, and mm -hmm. did he make like a whole bunch of side comments around the house too? Oh yes. <laughs> oh, talk to my siblings to get me to convince me to do otherwise. What What am I really doing? I he he, he didn't know how to handle it. Really, <laughs> I can I can kind of imagine some of the stuff that he would say, and mm -hmm. and You're abandoning the family. Why are you doing this? Um, the the big one is this is like are you gay are you you did, you did the the notion of a han handsome young man uh -huh. um, who's well in his quote unquote prime uh -huh. who could do anything in the world that he wants to do who has been nurtured and well taken care uh -huh. of for all his life wants to become a priest you know it it, it seemed it, it seemed to be a, something that was just kind of sort of okay 
for those who are less suited as quote as society would kind of sort of have it you know it's like it's kind of like a default oh you can't do anything else okay why don't you just be a priest um his idea of an understanding of that has changed of course (laughs) (laughs) so i can imagine because i I love the nigerian accent um i also had a i I worked with a teacher who was from cameroon and is very similar accent as well Mm -hmm. and i could just imagine that accent around the house just oh yeah just giving you yeah just nagging at you and making those comments and very snarky (laughs) what was would it be possible for you to imitate one, something that he he said around the house? <laughs> sure, I, I, without I, I, without I gotta, us having to bleep it, without right? having to do that, I, for sure. I, I got to think of something. You are just you are stupid. You are abandoning the family, and I, I don't know why you would make such a decision. You you are you are here. Everything has been given to you. Yeah, that's a car. You have a house. Oh, we, we've done everything for you, but for you to make this decision and abandon the family. It's that was that was very very huge for. That must have been tough. Abandon the family. That's pretty heavy. Yeah, no, for sure. That that took up the the majority of my first year of seminary. Just processing those emotions and taking that to prayer, and thinking, okay, you know what? Mentally, I can think of that that I am not abandoning the family, and my heart can also feel a certain length, certain sense of being torn. Of you know, I'm abandoning what what seems to be normal life, life as I knew it, mm-hmm. to pursue this gospel, and the gospel says that that's something that we we should do. I mean, we would probably do is to be followers of Christ, but living it out and thinking, okay, how am I going to do this and provide for the family? Um, I'm the the oldest kind of syndrome, and that responsibility never left. Uh, I would say that it's been kind of sort of re reorganize as far as my heart is concerned, um, that God will still provide. There's a certain trust, there's a certain leap of faith that I'm taking that is not necessarily a leap, but a definitive step in the right direction, saying that the same God that has called me to be a priest is the same God that will continue to provide for my family and continue to guide my family. And hopefully my example and whatever I choose to do in life uh, will not affect my family's progress. Because I can imagine my my parents are immigrants themselves, and I can imagine you know you you work to come to the country, you you put in all this time, get settled because you come with almost nothing, yeah. And then finally, this is my firstborn son. He's going to be the one that's going to you know. This is our first seed that we planted here in the United States, yeah. And then now you feel like he's abandoning the family, correct? You would have thought that you were joining a band or something like yeah, that, right? No, absolutely. <laughs> it, it seemed as if anything was better than being a priest at that point when I first told him. Drug dealer. Um, it's uh, <laughs> You can name it all. <laughs> anything but become a priest. Anything but that. How did your mom, okay, I was about to ask, how, yeah. how did your mom deal with it? She, she, she didn't know what to say. So she, while she your dad ran into the room. Yeah. She she was she was almost in a state of shock. She just didn't have the words to really articulate uh, what I was feeling because it was so left field. Like, are you sure this is something that you chose? Is this something were you ever influenced? She blamed it on Father Two a lot, actually, not Father Dad. Oh, really? Uh, uh, so Father Two is <laughs> the pastor uh, at St. Christopher's yes. currently, um, and he, he was already there at that point. So um, she blamed it on him. Like, are you sure that he didn't? really coerce you to thinking that this is, you know, the best life or whatever have you. And 
I, this is me. This is kind of like, I'm not a, a person of, uh, I don't succumb to peer pressure. I'm pretty definitive, uh, just kind of in, in my own personhood. So it, it was so outlandish for her to say that. And I think she knew that. But at the same time, this was just so wild, so uh, out the ballpark that there's no other plausible explanation, but possibly those ideas that I was influenced into making this decision. <laughs> How about, so this was at the dinner table. Yeah. Yeah. So your mom's there, your dad's there. What oh, about your siblings? All my siblings. Like, why would you want to do that? <laughs> That's what they said. Yeah. They expected me to say anything else. And truthfully, they thought, well, I, I would have expected you to say that you're gay before you saying that you're going to go to be a, be a It's priest. like they think you're coming out. Like, this is, this, and <laughs> this was revolutionary. They expect, they did, they expected anything else but this. It's like, mom, dad, I'm coming out as a seminarian. Yes, as a seminarian, <laughs> as a seminarian, surely. Um, so, you know, it was, it was, it was, I, I look back on that, on that, that memory and I think, wow, we've, we've come a long way because my family. I mean, they've all they've owned owned the uh, idea and notion, and they've seen it in action. They see it in practice. Mm, yes, and they think, okay, you know, you know, Houston is a a responsible human being anyway. For him to have made this decision means that he's probably thought about it for a while. Um, if he does otherwise, if he leaves seminary and and goes back to doing the things that we thought he was do he would do anyway, I'm sure my dad would throw a parade. Um, at least maybe if it was six months ago. Now that I've become a deacon, there's a difference. There's a difference, but uh, I, they would welcome that as well. They're very just generally supportive. So has he gone like completely 180? Like, oh, I always knew he'd be a priest. I supported this. Does he say uh, stuff know, like that? You know, um, not really, but his actions dictate otherwise. Oh, really? So after my first semester of seminary, this is six years ago, um, he, he started calling me Rev. So he's been calling me Reverend, Reverend, Reverend six years before I actually became <laughs> Reverend <laughs> Mister. So he his acceptance was kind of sort of in that in that small way of saying, okay, Rev, Rev, Rev. So that six years later, it's not anything new. It's something that he's kind of owned. And his actions during like ordination, as far as like giving gifts or preparing or thinking of what to do for everyone who's coming to celebrate like this actual feat. Um, he's, he's taken on to it, um, wholeheartedly and you could see his transformation, um, and just kind of will to be part of the church, uh, even more and so such as to be part of the uh, pastoral council at, wow. at, at my home parish. And he's willing to do that. He's kind of like the driving force of all that. So it's, I see some, there's some efficacy, uh, there's some efficacy in such a, in such a vocation. It's quite interesting. So your sister, mm -hmm. did she ever come up to you? It's like, now the pressure's all on me. <laughs> uh, no, actually. Because I'm the second one. No, actually. But my brother, yes. My brother, for sure. Well, she's a princess. I'm sure she, <laughs> oh, okay. she could have gotten away with anything. But definitely, there was a little bit more pressure on her. But definitely my brother. Uh, because I wasn't going to fulfill the med school role. He always wanted to be a doctor anyway. But now he had to definitely kind of sort of think paved the way, really. I couldn't show him like, oh, here's the MCAT scores and here's here's what you should do at application and interviews and stuff like that. And just kind of sort of coach him through that. No, mm. he he had to be the trailblazer. Uh, and and he did. He has. He's definitely he's on that process right now, uh, studying at Morehouse in Atlanta. So he's definitely just kind of um, pushing forward.
and and just kind of grabbing life by the horns and um, not needing anything more. He doesn't need a superhero example. He just needs uh, a brother who is just well-rooted and grounded. How how old's the youngest? Um, So the youngest is 16. Um, he's an he's he's a sophomore in high school, I think. Um, so he's starting to drive and everything. Now the brother in Atlanta is twenty six years old. Okay, and, your um, sister? and then my sister is twenty. Oh, I'm starting to lose track of time. She's twenty eight. She just gave birth um, to her uh, first girl, so she's quite excited. Oh, that's quite awesome! Excited. Yeah. And then, any of your brother or sister well not your sister anymore yeah sister your brother is married <laughs> did they think about um you joining know, the my brother in, At- in atlanta absolutely not you probably wouldn't want him as a priest did, did your, <laughs> yeah. did your, oh really yeah. <laughs> did, your, did your parents sit sit them down and say okay your brother's going down this path. I don't want any of you getting any ideas either i think they know that if there was anyone to do this it would probably be me so I don't think they even bothered kind of worrying about. You He's know, the rebel in the, the family. Yeah, exactly. Isn't that funny? The rebels, the, <laughs> the one rebel that be, becomes <laughs> the priest, priest, right? So right. you go into seminary. And then where is this? Here in Houston? Yeah. So my first two years of seminary. So um, I entered as a pre-theologian. So you go in. So there's there are guys who are there during the during the philosophy. Excuse me, doing the philosophy component of seminary. Um, that's kind of sort of where we, that's before you enter the master's part. So there, there are two, two phases in seminary. There's the, the collegiate, um, step where you study all the philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you go on to the major seminary, which is you're studying theology. That's the theologate, um, side of seminary. So for the collegiate part for philosophy, I only had to study for two years because I already started at, uh, studied at the university of Houston. So I only had to do two years to obtain um, a bachelor's in philosophy there and then continue on to the theologate and start a master's program, um, master's in theology at St. Mary's. So I was, my college seminary was in Louisiana, uh, St. Joseph's Seminary, okay. Abbey and Seminary College, where the Benedictines are um, in the New Orleans diocese, archdiocese. Uh, and then after studying two years there, I got to uh, come to St. Mary's here in Houston. So what what decision did they make to send you to Louisiana instead of Dallas, where some of the other guys go? Father Dad, uh, the great pastor of St. Faustina, made that decision, actually. Uh, he thought it was best because there's a certain communal aspect of St. Joseph um, that kind of arbored a higher sense of um, um, of prayer. Um, a sense of kind of sort of unity and a sense of um, just maybe a realization of the moment, the appreciation of work, and yet with still with study. And that's something that was greatly appealing to me, I guess, based upon the background and just my mm. life story. Okay. Um, some guys do go to um, Dallas, Holy Trinity in Dallas. Yes. But he thought that the best place for me uh, was to go to St. St. Joseph's Abbey and Seminary College in Louisiana. The Abbey is what they call it. So that's why all you take all of those tests so they can properly place you where where we need to go. You need to go. All right, so let's backtrack a little bit. You mentioned girls. <laughs> How do you deal with that? Currently? Or um, even through high school and college? Yeah. I, you know, I've... I've always been someone who I I would pro- I was always very comfortable 
um, just speaking to the ladies. Um, you know, I just, I never, uh, funny enough, I never ever saw to manipulate or womanize or whatever have you. Mm -hmm. Early on, I found like a, a good kind of way of, of, of seeing the other and just wanting the best for the other. I think that played a huge role in vocation. Um, so my dad early on, uh, maybe in first grade or kindergarten said, you can't have any girlfriend too. <laughs> Do you get to high school or prom or whatever have you? And I thought, uh -huh. well, that's a long time from now. I'm not sure if I can keep up with that. Anyway, but you know, so my idea early on, especially throughout elementary school, I didn't think of ever asking a girl out then because if my dad found out, it was probably going to be um, uh, some discipline coming because <laughs> it was probably hindering my ability to make good grades. Yes, and to get to the where to the concentrate on your studies. Absolutely, had to. That's get what it is. And then eventually, make sure you get good enough grades so you can go to the Bakey High School that you could go to <laughs> med school afterwards. So um, I always had a more more healthy kind of disposition and a great level of comfort, just kind of talking to the ladies and being friends. Okay. Um, I did date a while uh, throughout um, a lot of parts of high school, whatever have you, in college as well. Um, but was I it a secret find for your parents? You know, probably. <laughs> <laughs> they always seem to find out a whole, whole lot more than you think, <laughs> more than you'd lead on. Um, but one thing that I always found out is that my disposition um, to having a, a certain sense of like ever after, happily ever after, was always based in Christ. So I would uh, like or seek the greatest intention for the other, but as it was me giving to you, like as Christ would give to the church. So those would always be the hinge points of every single relationship or girl that I liked or whatever have you. Um, like I could always identify, oh yeah, I definitely like her. I definitely would date her. Uh -huh. Definitely wifey her if need be. Uh -huh. uh, but it was always kind of sort of hindered. There was always a hinge point that said, you know what? Easton, like that's not even ideal to even pursue like a further relationship. So it would always kind of sort of be by the wayside or just how serious move on. was the most serious relationship? Uh, one, maybe a few months. Uh, I'd say about nine months. Uh, I just knew that there was just no seriousness okay. uh, there. There was just that there was a great level of attraction. There was a great level of mutuality. But at the end of the day, I didn't see a future. Okay. Um, and fortunately, maybe that kind of helped because I was already having Peter uh -huh. uh, just kind of like in the background. So I think that's a great hindrance as well. But just me not seeing a future, um, you know, with this person was just me thinking, okay, you know what? I'm, uh, you know, we're in this, but I'm not really feeling this. This is not truly healthy going back to your dad because i love yeah, your dad yeah, i've no, never sure. met him yeah but i love you him definitely would like <laughs> did he like try to introduce girls to you and stuff after you dropped that bomb maybe he hasn't met the right girl no he did not really actually um early on he knew that there was no way that uh his decision or his influence or my mom's influence would make me like a person more or less so that okay. was never part of his game plan more so the car than anything for some reason. Also, he knew the car he, was the way to go. He knew the car was the way to go. I guess a guy never really told him about any girl that I liked or didn't like or whatever have you. So, but he knew about cars. I couldn't hide the cars for sure. So, uh, but no, uh, my, I think my mom would like to, my mom definitely thought, okay, you know, hey, how about this girl? Like in the Nigerian community? Oh, uh -huh. how about this girl? 
Or how about this girl? I'm like, eh, no. Eh, no. Eh, not really. <laughs> oh, but why? Ah, uh, you know, can't tell you. <laughs> that kind but of your thing. dad was like, the car. My That's dad, so, the car. Did was, he bring was, home a brochure or something for that, that car that you wanted? You said it was a Mercedes. You know, I think now that this is all starting to come back, I think he wanted to. And he, he probably would have if I gave him that authority that time in April. Uh, but no, he didn't do that. He didn't go so far. As I'm just going to leave this here on the coffee table for you to look right at here. You know, just to look at the I'm sure there was some times in which. So I would also there was a point in time when they used to send brochures, car dealerships, um, uh, not dealerships, but actual manufacturers mm-hmm. would send brochures of cars that you would call, kind of request it online. Yes. So I used to get infinity brochures, whatever have you, because I like the G37 coupe with that beautiful exhaust. Anyway, uh, so I would get the those brochures and um, after a while he would kind of sort of look at them and then wave them in my face a little bit <laughs> and, then, and then just might maybe put it down. And I thought, no, this is kind of futile. Did he say something like, oh, you're not going to be able to afford this as a priest? Oh, yes. So that <laughs> that has not gone away. He continues to say that because I still marvel at cars like wherever I whenever I pass them. Uh-huh. Oh, look at that. It's and a little Mercedes Benz S class 500. You know, so he would look and say, you're not going to afford that anyway as a priest. <laughs> um, and I'm thinking I can still I can still admire them. I don't have mm-hmm. to obtain them in order to admire them. But. Yeah, yeah, just like if you see a pretty woman, you say, oh, yeah, she's no. very pretty. Yeah, I like her ab- hair. Absolutely. So, like that. Absolutely. I like hair or nails or whatever. Have You know, mm-hmm. it's, that's it's, a nice dress, you know. Precisely. 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 <laughs> and, and, and you, know, you mentioned it uh, very well because I think it, it represents like a healthy balance of where we all could be at in society. You know, we don't have to obtain this or that or that or have a self, great self sense of possession of this or that in order to really have an appreciation for it. It's kind of like the gift of wonder and awe. Uh, it's, a, it's a healthy appropriation of God's gifts and our, our own response to those gifts. So how do, you, how do you deal with that wanting or enjoying these cars and, you know, with the priesthood yeah. and all of that? Because yeah. um, you're taking a vow of simplicity, if I'm not mistaken, right? Actually, I make, I make uh, promises of poverty, uh, poverty, chastity, and obedience. Poverty, chastity, and obedience. Okay, yeah. there we go. Mm-hmm. And how do, you, how do you compromise that with your love of enjoying cars? Yeah, I look at them and I think I'm, I'm a man of, of, I guess, of efficiency sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, you, the only things that I really need in life is a mode of transportation. Okay. Maybe a reliable, good enough mode of transportation and probably my cell phone. Um, and that's kind of just about it. Um, if I have those things, I'm I'm good. I've definitely a roof over my head for sure. But um if if I don't need the most um uh, fancy thing, because even if I was not uh pursuing the priesthood, if I bought a Mercedes Benz S five hundred, I'd probably only drive it on Easter and I'd wake up on Easter and think, you know what? Let's just keep you in the garage. We'll, we'll take we'll take something else. You know, um, I don't want anything to just kind of sort of hinder me from being the best person that I can be. So if I was obsessed about mm. not seeing anyone's paw prints after polishing the car, <laughs> call them paw prints. Um, then you know, if I didn't have to worry about that, then that's good. So something about there's something to me about simplicity, reliability, and then really excess. Do I really need this or that? And the answer I always find myself is no. 
uh, even with girls, sometimes we as seminarians have our high points at low points. Mm-hmm. Um, the key to, to understanding and to integration is um, that ain't yours. That ain't yours. Mm-hmm. What is yours is something that you find yourself most comfortable with. That is Jesus Christ, our Lord, in loving him and also our response to him in our vocation. So if that is aside from our vocation, then it ain't yours. And at the, at the end of the day, it's probably going to be loathsome to you. You know, I'm not dealing with the same problems that you may have at home. And you are not dealing with the same problems that I have mm-hmm. here, you know, as an ordained uh, minister. So, you know, you, you have yours and I have mine. Yes. And quite frankly, what I have is a source of comfort and peace for me. So that's what kind of sort of keeps me grounded, especially with girls, cars, um, my own particular prayer life um, in hopes of wanting to kind of grow and, and, and find a, a more suitable pattern uh, of life for me. Like I, being rooted in that understanding helps me from a day-to-day basis. So your admiration of cars, you still keep up with all of that? You know, I'm starting to not be as good. Really? Yeah, I can't, I can't tell those new McLaurins apart almost at all. (laughs) (laughs) They all starting to look alike. Do you ever think of going into like the engineering area before? I I would love to. I just, I still wouldn't love to, but I just don't have the time. Uh, I can, when I drive them, I'm, I'm thinking diagnostically, okay, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. Uh If I do this a whole lot more or. When I'm going back and when I'm going home and I'm thinking, okay, this car is kind of off. Why is this? Oh, it's this, it's this. It's probably because you drove it like that, <laughs> being the head honcho. But I mean, it's in, instead but, of going into like towards the medical field mm-hmm, for college, did you? No, I never, ever thought of that. Never, even with ever. your, even with your like for your interest in cars? No, I never, never did. I thought of racing them. I wanted to, uh, I guess a far, far overreaching maybe, uh, uh, idea or fantasy was to be like an IndyCar driver. Ooh. Uh, just right racing around ovals and those kind of things. You ever think about doing that just like, like on the weekends, just going to a test track or something like you know, that? Maybe. I don't mind that. I hope the Cardinal's okay with that. Me doing that. <laughs> and if he gives me the okay, I'll probably go ahead and do <laughs> How much freedom do you have to do things like that? Like pursue hobbies and stuff? You know, um, it, it depends. It depends on how, just how, uh, adventurous that hobby is. Usually priests get a certain time and um, a year off. It's usually a month. It can be a month. And then there's another time for um, retreats and stuff like that. So if you've saved enough, a whole lot, uh, and you're able to just kind of go off and let's say I wanted to go to Germany and drive the Autobahn, I think I can do that, that kind of thing. Uh, if I have a friend that could invite me along to do those kind of adventures, then yeah, you can. But um, usually, you know, every priest has their thing. So okay. Funny you mentioned that, that every priest has their thing and they differ from time to time, from, from person to person, from season to season. Personally, I just, I get a kick out of watching car videos. So just kind of maybe on a twice a week, I might kind of watch car reviews and car videos and I'm good on that. You fall into a YouTube hole yeah, watching. Absolutely. Absolutely. Doug DeMiro and those guys. Yeah. That's awesome. So Let's talk about your year in, or two years in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. How was that? Were you, was it a regular college? Or was it just a seminary type college where yeah. it was all seminarians? Yeah, it was a seminary college. Okay. And there were 130, 40 seminarians uh, there from different dioceses all around Louisiana or all around Texas, um, other parts of the, of the country. Tennessee, I believe, 
Uh, I believe there was a guy from Florida at that time as well. Um, it was a huge, huge shock for me. I was I going to college and going to the University of Houston. I always went from home. Uh-huh. So, you know, I went and did my classes, came back, hang out with friends, but came back home. Um, so I never had like the dorm experience. Going to Louisiana and seminary, it was my first experience of going to school with actual people and not being able to leave and go back home um, on a daily basis. That was definitely tough for me. Uh, kind of, I'm kind of like to be my own man, just kind of mm-hmm. do what I do, and then that's it. Uh, Buy but, your own groceries yeah, and all of that precisely. stuff. Precisely. Do your own laundry. Precisely. Precisely. And that we still did. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> but yes, no, absolutely. Um, you, you know, just kind of be my own man, do what I do, and go back home. You know, if I'm social, being intentionally social, and then, you know, I retreat and kind of have my time to myself. Um, but that wasn't the case in Louisiana. <laughs> um, we had a regulated time for prayer. Okay. Um, evening prayer, morning prayer, even night prayer at the end of the night. Um, there were lunches and mandatory dinners that we had to attend. Okay. Um, there was mass in the evening, uh, excuse me, in the, in the middle of the day. And then there were classes in between. So it was a pretty rigid schedule. Very rigid schedule. Um, you, you, if the time to yourself will be the time in which you are not studying or not in class. How much time um, is that during the day? During the day... Or is it mostly just night? It could vary depending on the classes, but during the day, not more than six hours before um, before night, for okay. sure. For sure, not more than six hours. Um, sometimes it can be maybe three. It depends on kind of like your class load and how much you had. Um, on the weekends, the weekends were usually free. Um, after morning prayer and mass, you probably had the rest of the Saturday by um, to your to yourself which you would probably have to make time to study, that kind of stuff. Same of thing Sunday. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. So the other guys that were with you, they were also college graduates? Yeah. So some were college graduates and they did the, the uh, pre-thee program, mm-hmm. just the two years, and you, you'd obtain mm-hmm. a, a bachelor's in philosophy. And then others were starting at different various levels of college. So some could have had one year of college, maybe two years of college. Some could have had no college at all. So they straight started, out of high school, straight out. Yeah. Of, exactly. Straight out of high school. There were a couple of older guys who had you know, just kind of um, who just been working um, I mean, guys in their 30s, late 30s and 40s or whatever who would have worked all their lives and thought, OK, now's the time to really um, kind of get into what my calling is. And then they would kind of start that process as well, depending on where they were or what their bishop mandated that they do. Um, so we had guys all across the board. What did you say your degree was in again? Uh, nutritional sciences. Is there any way that you could use that in the priesthood? <laughs> so I like my mom. Somehow. Yeah. Maybe use, um, right? I mean, perhaps yeah, be, yeah. you know, in charge of the priest's nutrition and, the, you know, the archdiocese you know, or something like that. It, it, there's a, yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> as you can tell, there's no, there's relatively no passion um, that could be matched to my desire of actually serving and being a pastor. So sure, if, I mean, if I was ever called to do that, probably. If there was I, a position would, in the archdiocese. There's a position in the archdiocese, I would look, I would look away. The, the thing is, you to be effective in, in such a field, you'd have to have your master's okay. uh, to be a dietitian, really. Okay. Um, so I, I don't really have much true credentials in order to kind of serve. And I mean, I can give tips and that kind of stuff. I've, but, I have heard about priests that were, you know, doctors and all that. Yeah, those exist so, for sure. For so sure. did anyone ever say to you, hey, 
let's pursue this. Let's go get your masters. And my dad would do that all the time. So, so what's next? <laughs> he would, he would ask. So, so are, when you're done with St. Mary's and you obtain your masters, um, and could you do more? Could you be a doctor? Could you have your PhD? And I would say, yeah, I could, I could. So when are you going to start that? Um, never. <laughs> um, I, do you I, don't, I don't see yourself don't. doing anything like that even in the capacity of, uh, within the church? No, not no. at all. So you're, you're strictly thinking about thinking of being a pastor, a pastor, a pastor of a nice place. Maybe St. Faustina. I'm going to have to kick father dad out. (laughs) Not anytime soon, of course. Um, And then just kind of working in the vineyard, uh, working to, to, to um, the harvest is plenty and send, send harvesters for the harvest is that's, those are my thinking. That's my, what I feel as if God is calling me to do. Anything else is kind of sort of by the wayside. So those two years in Louisiana, how often did you get back to Houston? Um, <laughs> Was it two years straight? Often, no, or? Oh, no. I, I came back quite often. Um, uh, maybe more often than any other guys. <laughs> oh, really? So it wasn't so, just so Christmas we, and Thanksgiving. No, it, it wasn't was, Christmas and Thanksgiving. So sometimes we'd have a three-day weekend. Um, you, you can do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. So I dart straight to Houston. Um, and then maybe sleep on the couch or whatever have you stay a day and, and then come right back. Um, and that would happen maybe every six weeks or something like that. And of course there was Thanksgiving and then there was Christmas, of course. Um, some, sometimes spring break, I would definitely come back at every single opportunity that I got, I would come back to Houston. Your dad say, oh, here's our rebel here. <laughs> the sure. prodigal son. I'm sure, I'm sure he wanted to, but he was, he was, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But he's already warmed up. at that point. He's already oh, yeah. warmed up a yeah, lot. He's, too. he's at that point. He, he was accepting. He, he was accepting that this is what his son was doing, but open just in case his son decided, you know what? I can leave. I can, I can pursue other stuff, other ventures. Um, but no, at that point, I think my family was just kind of sort of going into the, okay, how do we appropriate this with our lives? Does that make it more difficult for you? The fact that your dad wasn't as open in the beginning? No, no. So you had your mind set. Uh, you know, my mind was set. You know, and, and many, many guys, this is a very good question. Many guys, um, many people have asked me that question. Like, doesn't that make you feel just kind of sad? Now, mind you, my dad has provided, my mom and my dad have provided every single venture of a uh, seminary, the car that I drive, the cell phone that I use, and they've been extremely supportive. It's just their verbal disagreement <laughs> really <laughs> that, that, that I, one would have to deal with. But um, I've already expected it. Like, this is so far, this is out of space as far as what the Nigerian ideal is. I, I dare I say right now that if I ever left mm-hmm. and if I ever had a son and he told me that um, I want to be a priest, I'd say, why? <laughs> really yeah it's, i get it <laughs> i get it but just because that has been ingrained in your yeah, mind yeah for sure for that sure. this is what yeah. a nigerian is supposed to do for sure for sure and and i would also i, I definitely you know for, for guys who are discerning I, I do there's something to be said about what a vocation is um father dat in that initial interview um with me october 2013 and i mentioned um, how I'd, I'd like to be a father. I'm still conflicted about being a priest. He mentioned that a great priest could also be a great father. And I was sold. And I thought, okay, wow, 
And so being a priest or going to seminary should not be an escape uh, from maybe just our natural obligations of wanting to father, wanting to give. Um, and if it is, then one should probably look elsewhere because the priesthood is only going to be damaging for the person and mm -hmm. for the congregation. So you have to be really integrated and really rooted in your own um, your own self with a healthy understanding of who who you are in God in order to be able to give appropriately in the way that God has created for that person. After those two years yeah. in Louisiana, you yeah. come back. What's the next step? Next, after that next step is full-on theology um in the masters and the graduate level um so we study things such as um christology mariology um build on on morality when we talk about canon law and study canon law the ways in which the church has acted and the rules and laws and regulations that mm -hmm. we have to kind of govern those the, the dogma that we have created um, that god has created and that we have understand grown to understand. So all of those kind of studies have ventured off, made itself into 130 plus credit hours. And this was all in, in the seminary here in Houston. This is, this is all in and Houston And at this well. point, are you living with your parents? Are you living in the seminary? Yeah, so we, we're, life is completely at seminary. Okay. So in, in 2014, when I said bye-bye to that Mercedes-Benz, um, <laughs> um, the decision to, to go and be a seminarian must be lived and carried out in the seminary okay? because it is a place it's uh, we call it like a house of formation where we through the um the the bonds being made with our fellow peers who are in our classes and the general community along with the different priest formators who guide us along every step that is where formation happens where we grow we grow intellectually spiritually mm -hmm. Uh, humanly with patience, et cetera, all those kind of things. And also pastorally, how to lead, how to how to transfer what we know as far as theological studies is concerned to the hearts of believers. So there how many more years do you, are you after after those two years in Louisiana, you come here. How many years is that? So it's five more years. Five more. Five more years. So you would study the first in theology one. Okay. Theology two. And then in the middle of that, you would go to pastoral year. Okay. So pastoral year is where you will spend a year in a parish living uh, with the pastor and other priests, resident priests, and you're just fully engaged and immersed in the church. Where did you spend your pastoral year? Oh, I went to St. Anthony of Padua in the woodlands. Uh, phenomenal, phenomenal time there with Father Tom Rafferty, the pastor, and other priests that were there. It's a great experience, great people. And the ability to fully immerse yourself in the parish. I call myself kind of like another parochial vic vicar, but without uh -huh. faculties. Because <laughs> um, I could stand and look pretty uh, on the <laughs> altar. Uh, but I can I can counsel. I can be available. I can be present. Um, I can make visits, pastoral visits. Mm -hmm. And it was it was just a beautiful time to really cement myself in the life of, of a priest. So you think to yourself, this is what it's all about. This, no, no, for sure. I, I was itching. I was waiting for that time uh, in which I would go on to pastoral year and really see like what life is as a priest. And, and it was beautiful. Yeah, it was a beautiful time. And it's kind of sort of furthered and continued here in my life here at St. Faustina. And then after that pastoral year. After that pastoral year, we move on to third theology. Okay. So third theology. At the beginning of third theology, the practice now in the diocese and in our seminary is to have the um, 
It's the mass of um, candidacy. Uh, candidacy is like like engagement, a formal engagement in the sense like we are looking to be um, engaged to the church okay. and discerning. It is where we're, where the church is officially discerning with us to see that this man can become a clergy, can become a deacon on the route to be to being a priest. So one starts that in the beginning of third theology. He goes through that year, that long, tough year, and uh -huh. then is constant is evaluated. And if saying if the formators have said yes, that this person can move on and become ordained a deacon, uh, they are endorsing that this person is also a good candidate to be a priest. I like how you said that the you know engagement. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So you look at the church and this is my fiance. Yes. Absolutely. That's awesome. That's a, that's a great way to look at it. Absolutely. Because we are taking on Christ mm -hmm. like as a priest, as you, we are a person of Christ um, and Christ, we're representing Christ um, as the head in a sense. We're, we're continuing on in that ministry of Christ being the head and taking care of the body, the church. Um, so we, 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 through our own sacrifices, unite ourselves with the sacrifice of Christ himself and act in such a ministerial role, um, such as why, you know, the priest, the priesthood is a, a male figure uh, because it is the person who is giving like his seed for the church, for the well-being of the other. And that's just with, within our own nature. So after that year, then it's your diaconate year? Then it's our diaconate year. Which is what we're in right now. Which is where now. I am now, my seventh and last year. So looking back at seminary, yeah. what has surprised you the most? Um, time has flown by really quickly. Um, not, it's, I'm not sure it, I can remember my first year as if it was yesterday, but it seems as if I've accomplished so much. My life with Christ is a whole lot deeper. Uh, I feel as if there's, I haven't finished growing or learning. It seems to me that, that as I get to know God more and more, um, it seems that sometimes that I know him not as much as I think I know him. And yet that yearning is driving me to do more and learn more and be present more. I think my ability to let go and to really see the church as an opportunity where everyone can be his own kind of person, but we all do so as a community. Um, one emphasis that I'd like to make is that some guys and gals would like to compare themselves to saints. Like, oh, I want to be like St. Bonaventure. I want to be like St. Ambrose. Or I want to be like St. Gregory the Great or Teresa of Lucia. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I would say, well, halt, no, no, don't do that. Because at doing that, you despise God's creation in you. Rather, seek to be saint whoever you are, whatever your name is, because it is there that you are glorifying God. You're not seeking to be that person because that person has already done their work. Uh -huh. You have to be the best person that you can be, understanding your relation to God and letting that light shine forth through you to the whole world. There's something I, I've asked Father David Michael and Deacon Joseph, pranks in the <laughs> seminary. Were you involved in any? No. Did you have any <laughs> played on you? Um, No. Because I hear I there's a, a lot of, of, of... There are. There are. You know, you're completely right. There are a lot of pranks. Um, none have been played on me. 
And uh-huh. I'm not one to do any pranking either. I'm really? kind of kind of boring and dry or anything, but <laughs> I am. Because you got a lot of, of college age guys. For sure. And, you know, for sure. I, I went to an, an all boys school in, in high school and, you know, the hijinks. <laughs> so what were the pranks that yeah. happened while you were in oh, the. Oh, man, I got to think of some. There's a one point. There was one point in my second year that we had a seminary dog. Um, a seminary dog. A seminary dog. Uh, it was the only point in my seminary experience that that has happened. Okay. In my second year. I definitely do not like dogs at all. I'm really? Not, I'm, not a, I'm not an animal person at all. Okay. The the only animals I like are, is the, are the horsepower that the engine can produce. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, there's a time in which the seminary dog was just kind of running up and down the stairs inside the dorm. Um, and then one time it was just kind of hidden in a closet. Um, and then I didn't know. It was an official prank. It was, it was, it was to prank another person. So they, um, they put the dog in the closet. It was, a, it, was, it was more of a room. It was more like a common room. Okay, to scare somebody. To scare somebody. And then I ended up opening the door. And then I saw, <laughs> saw a big old black lab kind of thing, just kind of barking or whatever. And I thought, wow, what, what is that? Oh, that was for the other guy. Oh. It's like, get back in there. Yeah, exactly. You exactly. Know? No, I'm, not, you in I'm this not, room? not a fan of those. I'm not a fan <laughs> of that. But oh, I, can't, I, can't, I can't think of any more that kind of come to mind. Um, but they're definitely, for sure, pranks that just because we've heard um i believe it was father david michael who told us it was a prank involving um hundreds of cups of water in the hallway another one of um oh yeah carrying somebody out on their mattress into the hallway while they were asleep oh i've heard of those yeah that's for sure for sure now now father david michael says more pranks have been played on him here at the church has anything happened to you? No, it sure hasn't. Sure you got a big target on you right now. I'll tell you. You're going to have to try really hard. I'm not, that's not an invitation. That's not an invitation. Um, so for, fortunately, um, that hasn't happened. Because when he was new, I remember there was like somebody had printed out a whole bunch of his headshots and then just covered all the walls of his office with that headshot. I didn't know that. <laughs> you know that was, it's somewhere on social media. Oh, wow. I, think I gotta it, look for it now. <laughs> could be the St. Faustina Youth Instagram, I'm, I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Probably, probably. But it's there somewhere. AYA. Yeah, they're very active and engaging. And Father David Michael is the person for it, too. He's so calm and laid back and so chill. <laughs> Me, I'd probably have a mini heart attack inside and probably think, I get to a meeting. <laughs> oh, yeah. Too busy. Yeah, exactly. So, no. You can't name no, one prank I, I that happened while you were there? I can't. I'm sure I, right before I sleep, I think, oh, okay, here's something that kind of come up. But I can, there, we definitely do impersonations. Of the priests? Of, uh, of well, for sure, of priests. We always do. Every seminarian does a personation, uh, an impersonation impression of a priest. That's for sure. <laughs> um, but definitely of the rest of the community. Just kind of like what they're known for, the way they walk, the way they talk, or if they miss something at mass, or if they misread something, it's it's completely hilarious. I'll just never let them forget it. Yeah, no, they mess for up. sure, <laughs> for sure, never ever let them forget <laughs> it at all, at all. So this year, what are you thinking about? What when are you when are you scheduled for your ordination? So usually in the diocese, the ordinations are the first week end of June. Okay. The first Saturday of June is usually at 10 a.m. in the morning. And there's uh, we've already started 
many guys have already started countdowns and things like that. Uh-huh. Um, so I kind of have my countdown like in mind or whatever have you. We're definitely less than six months away. Uh-huh. Uh, so I'm able to just kind of sort of uh, move on forward. And I know that there's an end. However, there's one thing that I've noticed, and maybe all the guys before me would say this, probably Father David Michael as well. Um, the closer we get, it's the closer we realize that we don't know as much as we thought we knew. We knew, like studying over the last six, seven uh-huh. years. It's like, okay, wow, I really need to know that. I really need to learn that. Yes. So Deacon Year kind of sort of enables us to kind of continue in that. Like let's learn what we didn't learn or learn or mm. do- kind of double down on what we think we need to learn for the sake of the people. Because your eyes have been opened up to a whole new world. Absolutely. And you realize, wow, you know, I need to absolutely step it up a little more. Absolutely. So what are you thinking about in terms of where you're going to be assigned? Do you have <laughs> any idea of where they might send you? I don't know. I don't know. This is a, it's, it's, it could be anywhere. Uh, it, so we have usual, you have parishes in which you would usually send kind of new, mm-hmm. new guys. It's not more than 20 from that list on the top of our head, but guys where people have gone to most recently, those, those names just kind of sort of pop up on my list. Um, but I, there's, I guess I have no idea. Do you have, do you and any of the other seminarians have a pool going? I bet you're going to this parish. <laughs> now that you said you it, better I think start we need losing a, that priest yeah, there. For sure. for sure. Make sure you cross your T's, <laughs> dot your I's, send a Christmas card or whatever. Exactly. <laughs> um, but no, I, no, no, we need to, we need to start that pool. That might be a good, nice, nice pool to kind of get into. But I, I don't know. It, it's kind of, kind of interesting. Are you thinking of uh, perhaps a larger parish or maybe a smaller one? What are you thinking? Something. I, I don't have a preference to be Closer honest. to a car dealership, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> you can drive by it every day. Touche. I can definitely do that. Usually um, uh, new priests are assigned to bigger parishes, usually um, three or 4,000 and above. Uh, no, because of all the duties. Third, correct. Yeah. Um, you, you need more guys, you need more hands, that kind of stuff. Three three or four thousand families and above. Uh-huh. Um, so I'm thinking, you know, those parishes um, first before anything else. And usually, as a pastor, as a first time pastor, you may be assigned to somewhere that's kind of smaller, mm. kind of get your bearings, and you you may be there alone, that kind of thing. Um, but you know, I I'm not sure. I'm not sure. We will know on January. Excuse me, not January, June fourth which is the day before the ordination, the rehearsal day. Um, Those are the days in which we usually get our assignments. So we'll we'll look forward to that. Is there any thought of you or any possibility of you being here at St. Faustina? There is a possibility for sure. Father Dat is an excellent mentor, uh, really. Um, Former vocation director, he knows us anyway. Um, So if I'm here, I may have to kick out Father David Michael Moses. Um, (laughs) But we'll see. Yeah. No, no uh, possibility of us gr- getting more oh, that would priests. Be, that would be great. It but is a growing it, parish. That would be stupendously wonderful uh, because the the environment, um, especially in the rectory of just of us three together, definitely in the summer. Um, you could wish maybe we don't wish that, but if a camera was there, just kind of sort of secretly taping all of our fun, uh, you would say, "Man, this is just kind of how life should be. Just total great community." Myself, Deacon Joseph, mm-hmm. uh, Father Dad, and Father David Michael Moses, just kind of all in the same place. Uh-huh. Um, 
you know, if we can ever repeat this again sometime in the diocese ever, uh, that would be a wonderful, wonderful uh, achievement. But did they say the the rectory felt a little empty after the two of you had left? Yeah. They, yeah. Father Dad mentioned it, it was kind of quiet. <laughs> I guess we made too much noise. <laughs> well, he did say he did mention several times how how. There was just so much talking yeah. late into the night. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of great conversations. For and- sure. For sure. The talk and, and and the time would just evaporate. It would just sometimes we find ourselves it's 1230 at night and we're thinking, what? What's going on? Like how did it was just nine, you know. So we got mass in the morning. We got mass in the morning. Oh, you have the <laughs> seven o'clock. Oh, good luck to you. <laughs> so you go you go your separate ways. You've got Deacon Joseph who who goes back to um, to Rome? Yeah, and then you go back into the seminary here. Now you were supposed to, under normal circumstances, come back and forth. Correct, mm-hmm. right? Because you were the assigned deacon for Saint Faustina. Correct. How difficult was that? You know, I had to swallow that really quickly. Um, being in the parish in the summer was arguably my it was my greatest summer experience as a seminarian, but just it ranks really high as far as like life experience is concerned. So to continue on that and under the mentorship of, of uh, a priest that I like a whole lot, um, father, dad, and being around the community of believers, um, practicing, allowing you to point out my flaws and everything like that, uh, preaching the word of God, uh, being with you at, at different times, whether it's in sickness or in health, um, it's a time that I, I truly miss. And, you know, sometimes the devil would kind of sort of pick at the things that you think that you know that you would like to do best. Yes. And make a mockery of it. Like, oh, ha, 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 you don't get to go to the parish anymore. Mm. And that can be an avenue of great desolation. Um, the, the key is you find that and you you latch onto it and recognize, okay, this can be a moment of despair. What is the lie? Uh, Christ is here at the present now and his people are all around me, like the seminarians, like we are all like a community of believers as well. Like my opportunity to minister is also exists here uh, in the seminary. And now that I have just one last year, it's a good time to also minister here. So my ministry is not in vain. You know, it's, it's also a time now in the now, in the moment. And to make what's best of the moment. Because I can imagine it's difficult because you had that great year, yeah, that pastoral year. Mm-hmm. So you're looking forward to your diaconate year here. Yeah. And boom, the pandemic hits. Yeah. Everybody has to isolate. And then all the plans go out the window. You can't come. It's it was supposed to be every other weekend. Every that- other weekend. And sometimes maybe three times a week, uh, three times a month. Yeah. It was, a, it was kind of. Oh, here's go. Here's a nice shiny, shiny prize. Oh, you don't get to do that. Oh, what? What? And to be locked, uh, locked down, just kind of sort of, you know, you can't really go back to the parish and do anything, even if it's to escape and do a, a, a quick private baptism or, uh, or this or that, that kind of thing. It's, um, it's, that's not, that, that wasn't possible at all. So to be kind of locked in is a little bit more intentional. Um, it's a willful intentionality that we kind of sort of have to seek and find and harness and say, you know what, there is good in this. And here's where it is Mm -hmm. in the Christ that lies in the brother. And I would think it probably makes you a little more 
eager to come in and just give it a little more when you do come back. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you give it a little bit. And that, that's exactly what my thought was um, coming back, you know, just kind of fully immerse myself. But then I found over the last um, since I've been here, that there's, you know, I, I've been doing a lot more reflecting and just thinking, wow, this is looking at God's gifts, like the people of God, those that we disagree with, um, different political thoughts, um, different cultural traditions like it doesn't matter like we are all here to as a body of christ to give thanks to god um because we're all the same really and just to see that all in one place is beautiful so it was a source of thanksgiving for me really just to sit and reflect so what are your goals right now looking you know at your time here knowing that you've got a limited amount of time yeah um i Try and get to know the parish as much as possible, catch up, see where we're going, see where we have come and learn the lessons of the past and what I can kind of make out of my own priesthood, what is lacking in my own personhood and ways in which I can grow, whether it's in spiritual in spiritual life or in prayer. Um, all of those different ideas are things that I kind of would want to just increase and grow and delve right into. So your pastoral year, yeah. diaconate year, what is... Yeah surprised you the most about your time hmm, that's working in the question. parishes yeah. that's what, that's something that you didn't expect that you'd encounter the the amount of trust uh that the people of god have for us people like me uh, like a seminarian and now deacon um that we're able to to hold on to the truth of the gospel and share that the amount of respect that's been given and shared is is quite interesting to me um, because as I see myself, like sure, I'm ordained. Uh, I'm called to serve in a particular manner in a particular ministry. Um, but at the end of the day, I put on my uh, trousers one leg at a time. You know, I, um, I still brush my teeth. I still eat. I still comb my hair. Um, it's It's quite unique that I get the opportunity to do this. And you get to share in that in that opportunity through me as well. That's a gift, uh, and it's a gift that I find that's well quite surprising because God has given it to me, uh, but He has allowed me to also see it in the believer when looking at the eye of 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 the faithful, whether it's coming to me during communion or during like regular um, counseling visits or whatever have you, when sick, when suffering, when kind of lost. Or just in sheer prayer, um, you know, that's that 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 trust is very beautiful, very very beautiful. So, you've got until January here. Yeah. Then you're ordained in you say June or July? Uh, June. 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 Yeah. So that that's your that's your wedding date. That's it. That's it. June. Then you find out what parish you're going to go to. Correct. What are your goals for? your time there at the, that parish like because it's hard mm -hmm. to prepare for mm -hmm. a parish because you don't have one in mm -hmm. in mind so what yeah. what what are you imagining yourself yeah i try my best to live life without expectations okay um because when we live with expectations and don't reach them and we didn't have a healthy sense of openness mm -hmm. towards whatever god is calling us to do then we limit ourselves and maybe force ourselves to have a certain level of despair or desolation 
or just a hard adjustment. So for me to be as open as possible, uh, receptive to the pastor and whatever he has, um, the mass, um, the amount of people that come, um, the amount of people who don't need me, uh, being the head honcho or oldest person, oldest sibling, um, being able to just kind of sort of ingrain myself deeply into the lives of all. Um, that is my true hope. What are you looking forward to the most with becoming a priest? Yeah. Like, cause there are certain things you can't do yet yeah. as a deacon yeah. that you can't do as a priest. What, what are you looking forward to? I don't, I don't know. Is it confession? Uh, is it the mass? It's, it's, is it's it... one of those two for sure. Um, I go back and forth. Um, I've been quote unquote celebrating mass since I was an altar server. <laughs> <laughs> but now we, you know, doing, in the past semester we've gone, we've done practicals, uh, practicums and how to celebrate mass, just the ins and outs, the words, mm -hmm. uh, hand positions, gestures, what, what the priest does to symbolize and give reverence to that sacrifice. Um, and I find it beautiful, but one thing that you cannot replicate, um, well, at least because even in class, we, we make up sins, um, is confessions, like the life in the confessional. Mm. Uh, I think that just seeing the healing remedy um, of, of the faithful who have come to confess their sin, like us in our sinful, we in our sinful state, we, there's a certain level of shame, no matter how incy, wincy, tiny bit that sin might be, there's still a level of shame and trust to that minister, knowing that they represent Christ himself, that you say, you know what, I'm holding myself accountable and I need some freedom. I need healing. And to be able to be uh, an instrument of that healing, I think it's something that is far beyond my imagination. So that may as well be kind of like what I, what I look forward to most. Cause father David Michael did talk about that class that you're talking about yeah. where you go through the mass. Yeah. Uh, each step of the mass. Correct. Right. So you can practice that over and over again. Yeah. But just like you said, with confession, the actual, the real things, I, I mean, so you do, do you have a class for that, for confession? We do. We sure do. We sure do. And we've done a little bit of that so far. Um, just kind of practicing what we would say um, in, if this scenario would happen or if this scenario would happen, um, honing in on our pastoral advice ways in which we can help the, the penitent and ways in which we can maybe cause some harm, okay. you know, things to kind of do or not do just general tricks, general know-hows. So um, I'm trying to imagine what it looks like. Yeah. So you've got a so, classroom there. Uh -huh, so uh -huh. you've got the kneeler you and do. you've got yeah. the priest, everything. You have it all. Yeah. Correct. correct. And then everybody's just watching the confession going correct. on. Correct. That is awesome. Correct. Giving critique, giving advice, showing this aspect, showing this aspect. It's some people might see confession as kind of like a, a glorified counselor, uh, uh -huh. the, the priest being the glorified counselor. Um, in, in a micro scale, a macro scale can look like that. Mm -hmm. But if we look at the grace of the sacrament, we as ministers of that sacrament in the future, not, I mean, not now, but in the future can look and say, um, this is why this sin keeps repeating. Okay. How can we delve deep into that and help the penitent um, avoid the near occasion of sin? Mm. And we as a class kind of sort of go about around and look at that um, and then kind of sort of help the brother um, in, who is a priest, quote unquote, stand in priest, mm -hmm. um, kind of give better advice and nurturing 
I can imagine how that, that might be really difficult. Cause I mean, I'm just trying to think of how, you know, your mindset yeah. as a seminarian going to that class. Cause masses, I mean, you attend masses all the time. Correct. So you can watch an actual mass going on. You can't sit in on a confession. Correct. You can't have a camera there in the confessional. Yeah. So you can't study another priest doing an actual confession. So correct. When that time comes, you're like, this is the real thing. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. It's it's very interesting. I can't imagine it really. Just make sure I have my. Um, there's a prayer of absolution um, that must be said uh, that the priest gives at the end. Um, that's something that's probably the only memorizable part. Everything mm-hmm. else is in the moment. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, I can. I'm just trying to imagine what it must be like knowing that that's going to happen. Yeah, and all this preparation that you have for it. Correct. So. Were there any wow moments during your diaconate year or even during your um, even during your your year at uh, St. Anthony that you said, wow, this is I can't believe I didn't expect this to happen or I wasn't prepared for this. Were there any moments like that? Let's say like um, mm. first baptism or something like that or mm. Have have you have you conducted any any weddings yet? I have not. I have not uh, um, conducted any weddings. Um, I I think I was supposed to actually, but the, the seminary regulations mm. and accommodations because of the virus enabled me to. I have to have to stay at seminary, um, and then and then give the mass, um, give the um, rite of matrimony to someone else. But I did do a baptism. I did. I baptized four babies here uh, at Saint Faustina. Uh, How was that? Which was great. They were all in Spanish. There were two cer- uh, ceremonies. Uh-huh. Um, and they were both in Spanish. I believe the first one had one baby. Um, and then the second one had three, three, three kids. Um, the, it took me the same amount of time. <laughs> <laughs> the first and second time. So it's either my Spanish and reading the words or like knowing what to say or what was next. You think you were was, nervous? was better. I mean, it could have been nerves. I, I don't know what it was, uh, but it took me the same amount of time to, uh, to um, bat from baptizing one person and baptizing three people the second time around. What is, is that feeling? What's that feeling to, to be able to, you know, conduct the ceremony? It, it feels like, I hope I did this right. That's all you're thinking about. Yeah, right? I hope I did this right. I hope this. I hope this baby is truly baptized. Did I say the right words? Um, and then afterwards, then you can bask in wow, the gift of what God has called me to do as a minister, as a representative of the church. I can see you lying but, in bed. Yeah. yeah, I think I got it right. Yeah, I think I got it right. I think I, think I got it right. Just make sure you. The you kid's really say. baptized. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Now, Deacon you. Ray, who's one of our permanent deacons here, yeah. he said it was very emotional for him mm. the first time he baptized. Was it mm. like that for you or were you just concentrated so much on not messing it up? You know, I before before the the um, uh, the baptism started, you know, it was it was raining very heavily on the day of my birth. It rained very, very heavily. My dad will recall it perfectly. I didn't know because I was a baby, but uh, it rained very heavily on that day. And it, it seemed to have been like a source of blessing for him that his child would be born on that day. And the significance of him feeling as if a shower of blessings was upon him mm. and his family with all that he's been through and gone through. Um, it seemed to be for me, 
And I'm looking back on major times during my life. It rained. Like the first day of wow. like um, kindergarten or whatever have you. Like I remember it being re really heavy. I don't remember what day it was, but uh, what year it was, but definitely kind of like heavy rain. Difficult, difficult um, significant moments in my life is rained. And for it to have rained very heavily on that day, and the baby was crying a whole lot. I was a crier when I was a baby. I was a huge crier. And I thought, wow, this has all come full circle. My God is really here with me in this moment. Let's go ahead and do this baptism, you know? And I was it was a very profound moment. I can imagine, because your dad's thinking, eldest son. Yeah. This is the this is the guy that's gonna take our family. Yeah. You know. That, that rain, signif you know, whatever it signifies, little did he know that it meant something else. Yeah, it meant immensely, immensely more than he could ever imagine. Instead of being a doctor, mm -hmm. um, saving, um, you know, bodies, um, he has a son who would be a doctor of souls. Um, so that Houston, that wanting Houston to be such a big, um, popular, maybe like a mayor-like mm -hmm. uh, status, of greatness is is now a priest in a realm in which he couldn't initially um, understand or even fathom. And, and Do you think it would have been easier for him to accept, or, or more difficult, excuse me, more difficult for him to accept if you didn't have any other siblings? Let's say if you were the only child? I think it would have been immensely terrible, yes. More, immensely, immensely more difficult for him to accept that, for sure, for sure. Um, and it was hard enough for me and I have, <laughs> I have three other brothers. <laughs> so you're like, oh, mom, dad, at least, you yeah, know, exactly. I, got, I got a sister, two exactly. brothers here, you know? Exactly. But I, yeah, it would have been, it would have been tougher. Yeah. Far tough. Did, did your dad ever say to your brothers or, or your sister, don't think about getting into the religious <laughs> life. Don't be a rebel like your brother. Don't be a rebel. Don't be a rebel. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, I think now he's, he's. There's a certain understanding of, of, you know, stability in life. Um, no, there's no amount of money that can give that. Like you have to have some a level of stability in the heart, in the soul and with God in order to be truly impactful. Um, and, and I think that's what counts. Um, you can be a, a priest that's a best-selling author. Mm -hmm. um, you could be, um, a doctor practicing and maybe not have, may have a slow day, you know, that doesn't guarantee a certain great sense of sustenance. You can be in loads of death and debt um, after med school, you know, you could still, there's, and that's just on the physical side, but just as a whole person, you know, it's stability first comes from God. So now we're, we're talking about your, your year here. Yeah. The time you have left, Looking back at, you know, being the the first Nigerian born, uh, you know, born in the United States to become a priest. Are there any guys similar to you with a similar background in the seminary right now or that you know of? Every other person um, that I know of that's Nigerian mm -hmm. uh, has been born uh, and raised in Nigeria and okay. then they've come over. Okay. Um, um, to study and, and and maybe become a priest, or they were already priests already, and then they moved and 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 thought to f spread their ministry here. Um, there is one fellow that I I, um, I met last year, 
And I was quite surprised. They're like, wow, you you want to do this too? Uh-huh. This is interesting. This is awesome. So, I mean, we'll continue to pray for him um, because he's still in the beginning stages of that uh-huh. journey. But uh, it, it is quite interesting. Um, my community, when I told them, I told them maybe about two months, two weeks before moving to um, Louisiana that I was doing this. Um, a lot of them cried. A lot of them were jubilant. A lot of them said, mm-hmm. oh, we could have seen it. Oh, that's what it was. That's what was special about him. Um, for some reason, it held me on a pedestal uh, already. Um, but it seemed to have made sense for them that this is what this guy was doing. And maybe they were, they were they find themselves quite fortunate that it was not their kid <laughs> that abandoned the ideal family. <laughs> you know, that I, I find life, it very but, surprising but, because, I well, my experience, I don't know a whole lot of Nigerian people, but my mm-hmm. experience in, it with Nigerian people here in, in Houston, at least, yeah. in the churches, they're very involved in the church. For sure. Very faithful when it comes to attending mass and all of that. You see them at all the occasions. Mm-hmm. So I'm quite surprised that mm-hmm. the, the reaction yeah. to your to your decision. You're like, the, you know what I just realized? You're like the Jeremy Lin of the priesthood for Nigerians. Because Jeremy Lin was the first U.S. born of Chinese descent to yes. be in the NBA. But there are a lot of Chinese born that have come to the NBA. So you're like the Jeremy Lin. Correct. I, I hope my performance on the altar is a little bit more sustainable. <laughs> You're not, I don't think any injuries are gonna, you know, if you hurt They're your knee, I don't derail think, me. Yeah, <laughs> you'll still be able to hear mass if you injure your knees. Precisely, precisely. But no, no, that's it's a, it's scary. Maybe it's scary to be first. And I didn't ex- experience that fear personally, uh, but you know, maybe to like my parents, my family, like this didn't exist before, so there's no gauge. Even now, as my dad plans to pre- prepare for uh, ordination to the priesthood. Uh, I've given him kind of sort of some guides, it's just stuff to buy, stuff that doesn't make sense to buy as far as like token items and things like mm. that, like that. You don't need to do that. Oh, but what about those priests? And what, don't worry about that. That's not. So he has no example of mm. who to okay. kind of sort of gauge or what to do, what not to do, that kind of thing. So what advice do you, would you have towards anybody, not just anybody with a Nigerian background, but anybody who's considering seminary yeah. or priesthood? Um, someone that is considering, you know, the priesthood should really sit back and pause, examine the whole of their life and, and say, maybe think, what is it that you want to be? Um, but before then, let me backtrack and say, maybe who am I? That is my, um, sometimes that question has annoyed many people as it should. Uh, who, where is my identity? If my identity is in the glory and glamour of being a priest, the attention, the fame, the ability to celebrate mass and consecrate the Eucharist, if my identity is in that, then you will never find happiness in the priesthood. My identity has to be in God, that I am a beloved son of the Father, and that I love him so much that I'm able to do anything in the world that he wants me to do because he has called me to do something and he knows me best. And if that idea, if, if there is no connection in that, in that, um, in that sense of communion with God, then you, you may as well not think of any further vocation because you, you haven't, you haven't understood who you are. You have to know who you are in order to be able to kind of sort of give well and to give in abundance. 
as Jesus Christ constantly does and is. He is abundance. He is grace. He is satisfaction. And if our giving is relegated to a certain limited sense of understanding of who God is, then we probably don't have much to give. Thank you so much. It's my Deacon pleasure. Houston. It's been a pleasure. I, I could go on hours with you. It's just so great talking to you. We we look forward to the next few months of you here at St. Faustian. And hopefully, you know, if, if there is room for another priest yeah. here at St. Faustina, come June. Put a bid in to the Cardinal for me. I'd love to be able to come back. Let me send them an email. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining Thank you. us. Thank you.